Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's going on, everybody? Mike Curlin here of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and I'm stoked to be collaborating with Rotoballer again in 2021 with the Bases Loaded Podcast continuing as part of the Rotoballer Radio Network. Since 2013, Rotoballer has been grinding away, providing millions of fantasy baseball fanatics their fix for in-depth MLB analysis and player news. If you haven't heard, Rotoballer's 2021 MLB Draft Kit is live. And all Bases Loaded podcast listeners can get 10% off Rotoballer's draft kit by using the discount code Bases Loaded. That's Bases Loaded, all one word. Rotoballer is home to number one fantasy pros accuracy ranker Nick Mariano. Nick's 2021 rankings and projections are available as part of the Rotoballer draft kit, along with printable cheat sheets, our top draft sleepers, more than 300 2021 player outlooks, and all of this fantasy baseball goodness from Rotoballer is available for 10% off with the discount code Bases Loaded. Just go to rotoballer.com slash Bases Loaded and get your draft kit today and they're walking him with the bases loaded and intentional walk to Barry Bonds two and two with the bases loaded and one out oh my god deep to right field way up there and way out of here second deck walk off home run Brad Hello and welcome in everyone to episode 145 of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Curlin. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. And before we get started, just a quick reminder, if you could hit a quick five-star rating and review on the podcast, that'd be greatly appreciated. But with that said, tonight we are simply discussing more spring training lineup talk. The idea is to almost take this weekly article I'm writing over at rotoballer.com, which you can find on my Twitter, or you can find it on rotoballer.com and search lineup takeaways. You'll find the article. But the idea is to take this article and make an audio book, book version, essentially. I'm going to add to it, obviously, as I talk and just elaborate on my thoughts. But I every week I'm going to be discussing trends, possible platoons, playing time situations, etc etc just a whole bunch of stuff to really look out for things that are going on in lineups that can help maybe give you an idea of what's happening and how it can help your fantasy team so it's taking real world real world information turning it into fantasy relevant information also one last thing if you want to hear more of me ramble because i'm good at it um you can check me out on a few recent podcasts it's kind of mind-blowing i've been able to be a part of a couple of really really awesome podcasts lately most recently, Sunday night, uh, Sunday morning, I should say, I recorded Sleeper on the Bus, so that podcast is available. I was also brought on to the Fantasy Pros podcast, as well as Prospects One. So these are podcasts, I mean, I've listened to for a long time. Part of my rotation went before I even got started in this. And now, to be a part of these podcasts, super awesome, completely surreal, and just unexpected. So thank you, Chris Welsh, Joe Pizapia, Justin Mason, Jason Collette. You guys are great. If by any chance you're listening to this, Thank you so much for those opportunities, and I hope to do it again sometime. Now, with that said, let's just jump right in. And before we go team by team, because that's what the first week was, I had to touch on every team because first week means I have to set the tone, right? I start start with every team. But before I get there, I like to talk. I like to call call it word on the street. Essentially, what I do is go around looking for managerial quotes or quotes from anybody in the organization that might give you an idea of what to expect when it comes to the lineup. 
And a couple of quotes in terms of Victor Robles leading off, because, again, we'll get to that. He's been leading off a ton. Pretty much every game he starts, he leads off this offseason, or the spring training, I should say. The first quote we're going to discuss is in regards to Victor Robles, Trey Turner, and Juan Soto batting top three. He says, and I quote, I wouldn't read too much into it. As we all know, it was vice versa last year for the most part. Trey hit in front of Soto, which they did well together. But I just want to see what this kind of looks like. But then he followed that up with, I would like to get Robles up at the top of the lineup, even if it's just against left-handed pitching. So we'll see how that plays out, which at least suggests the opportunity for leading off. Even if it's a short side of a platoon, he should play it every day, but lead off at least against lefties. But we do have to see where this ends up. One last quote from Dave Martinez, though, is I'd like to get Trey somewhere, second or third, maybe. We'll see how it plays out this spring. So he's acknowledging that he wants Trey Turner to not be leading off necessarily, which, again, just further opens the door for Victor Robles to take advantage of the opportunity. And even Kevin Long chimed in. If we can have Victor Robles lead off, it's huge, Long said. So, again, it seems like the team as a whole is in on the idea of Robles leading off. It's a matter of if Robles can take it and run with it, which, again, it's on him to lose, I would say. Something that shouldn't be a shock to everybody or anybody, I should say, is Freddie Freeman will all but certainly bat third this year. He rec- he acknowledges, I'm going to paraphrase, he essentially acknowledges that the two-hole with the pitcher isn't very good in terms of getting the most out of his skill set, being the RBI producer he can be. He hit second most of the year last year because there was a DH and they can play off that whole uh, double leadoff deal with a good nine-hole batter followed by Cunha leading off, Freeman batting second. That gives him similar RBI opportunity with more at-bats because now he'll be batting second. But now with a pitcher at the, at the bottom of the lineup with the DH likely not coming back, Freeman acknowledges that he's most likely going to start off batting third, and they're going to go from there. There is the opportunity he bats second, but he himself has pretty much acknowledged that he will be batting third this year, which, again, not a huge surprise by any means, but it's something worth noting because he did bat second a lot last year. The Kansas City Royals as a whole really shed light on their top five, essentially. Again, paraphrasing because I can I can read like five quotes here. Matheny essentially said he wants to see Perez and Solaire bat fourth and fifth, but it's a matter of which one hits which. I guess it depends on production in terms of spring training. Carlos Santana figures to be batting third, but that one wasn't really as clear. He was asked about him batting second, but he's pretty much gone out and said, it's going to be Benintendi who bats second, not Santana, not Mondesi. So uh, Santana, it sounds like he should slot third, and that's what we've been seeing in spring training, something we'll cover a little more in depth when we get there. But like I said, we're getting an idea now that we're going to have Benintendi batting second, at least according to these quotes. We have Whit Merrifield. I'll read that one. That one's simple. We like Whit at the top. Matheny said recently, it makes a lot of sense for us. And I mean, it's not, again, not a shocker, but Merrifield should be leading off. Then we have Benintendi batting second. Santana seems to be in the three hole, followed by a combination of Soler or Perez, which pushes Mondesi down. But where does he bat six behind these guys? Does he bat seventh behind Dozier? Does he bat ninth as a double leadoff? There was something in that article that suggested that essentially if Mondesi played better and worked as he could work his way up the lineup, for lack of a better term, he can hit his way up, which he did last year. So we'll see, but it's a lot more crowded of a situation than it was last year. So again, we're going to have to see exactly where this takes us. Let's talk about lineup trends to monitor. The idea here is to go through the lineups every week, like starting from spring training, which is why we did week one. And the idea is, again, make a podcast to mirror that. And we're going to go through the lineups, the playing time trends, platoon situations, who's going, who could be moving up, moving down and why, 
position battles and spring training, which we'll cover at the end of the show. But again, the idea is to truly hit on every little thing, trying to give you guys every little edge in terms of playing time because shallow leagues to deep leagues, you want to know who's getting a bats where in the lineup because you want to optimize your potential in your fantasy lineup. So again, we are going to try to do that by really focusing in and watching what teams are doing, what teams are saying. So let's dive into the NL East, the Miami Marlins. I mean, they've been as steady as it gets, the top four or five. The only issue is, is Garrett Cooper could or even should eat into Jesus Aguilar's playing time. Cooper has a solid bat, and he is made for the DH. But the problem is, is without the DH in the NL, he gets significantly hurt by this. He goes from a guy who could be playing every day between you know giving guys rest days and DHing to hoping for three days a week between corner outfield and first base. And it's frustrating because his bat is really good, but I don't see him getting the starting job out of spring unless Aguilar does end up with an injury or significantly underperforms. We honestly don't have much clarity on the second base position as a whole yet. Now, when you look at the second base position, it's Isan Diaz versus Jazz Chisholm. That's the idea anyway. Today, even as recent as today, this taste Sunday, Jazz Chisholm and Isan Diaz, they played together, but Diaz is one that almost seems to be getting the reps at second base, which would suggest further that he is probably the starter right now, and it's his job to lose. Chisholm is the better prospect. I expect long-term better things out of him, but as of right now, it could be Diaz on the inside track to the playing time there. Birdie appears to be more of a super utility. People like to draft him for steals in these deeper formats, and he'll get them, but I don't see a path to everyday playing time. He will get. He will jump around. He has been moving around. I mean, we've seen him play third base, shortstop, and second base already, but we've only seen six games played. Could he bounce around to the outfield? I don't know. The, the team's pretty crowded, and Birdie doesn't seem like part of their future plans, so I could see them move him. I could see him kind of getting a back seat. So unless they're competing, then Birdie might be the best part piece there. Maybe he has a backdoor opportunity or backdoor chance of getting the second base job. I don't know. I'm not confident in his playing time though when we look at the atlanta braves we have yet to see a full lineup i think today sunday again prior to me writing this we got an idea of what to expect and you should expect acuna and albies top two followed by the big boppers in freeman azuna and even darno uh three four and five probably which pushes swanson and riley to six and seven and riley people really have this concern about jake lamb hitting against righties which is going to which would kill riley's production but I think Riley's going to get a chance to play every day, and Lamb would be more of a backup option slash, again, DH option if they had the DH in the NL. But with that said, I think we're going to see Swanson at six, Riley at five. And Swanson at six, we saw that last year. Not the best for his production, but in that lineup, it's still a very solid spot to be in. Plus, he should still run and get his, get his basically. The Phillies, there's a little, very little takeaway, little known. We've seen McCutcheon leading off, and we've seen... Harper batting third. That's as expected. We know Real Muto and Hoskins will will figure in in there. We do know Kingry seems to be on the outside looking in when it comes to that center field job, though. Odubel Herrera is getting some hype. He's hitting well. He has been a fantasy producer, like a positive one in the past. Not somebody I would even think about in shallow leagues, but in your deepest of formats and only drafting holds, he's a guy you should probably be getting on your teams because it looks like he's going to be playing. Or at least, again, the early trends and word around the buzz around the industry is that he is the favorite right now looking at the nationals again we mentioned victor robles leading off we've seen him lead off four times three of which have been against righties one against the lefty so again he's getting opportunities to lead off against everybody and anybody a top six does in fact 
seem likely to start out in a certain way. And we've seen this trend on a couple lineups. We've seen Victor Robles leading off, Juan Soto batting second, which is interesting because, yes, I heard his RBI production, but we've seen how well Trout does in the two holes. So wouldn't be too concerned because then you have Trey Turner batting third, Josh Bell fourth, Kosh fifth, and Starling Castro sixth. And the reason why I think Starling Castro is worth mentioning is because Castro, although Bell and Schwarber can hit for great power, they're also great on base guys. So when they're not hitting home runs, there's going to be plenty of times when they're on base for Castro to hit them in. Castro's a solid player, nothing flashy. He's he gets the job done. You you set him and forget him, and he's going to get you some solid RBI production. Batting six in this lineup, one of the few lineups where batting six, I would say that Carter Keboom should be the starting third baseman. But we're looking at a guy who's going to be batting seventh or eighth in the lineup. That's hard to get excited about. The pros, the prospect pedigree might be there, but that's about all that's there right now. But the New York Mets, we really don't know what's going on here because we haven't seen a full lineup. J.D. Davis does seem to play third base every time he's in the field, but he bats towards the bottom of the lineup. So he's kind of limited as a starter. Plus, I can see him losing playing time. No DH really hurts this team. Dominic Smith has yet to do anything but DH. P. Alonso plays first base pretty much all the time and bats fourth and has yet to hit below fourth. So I think they see him as an everyday player for that bat in their lineup. Tom Smith is the one who probably gets hurt because, yeah, sure, he might start in left field. Defensive replacements are going to happen. They have Kevin Pillar. They have... Well, Almora, they have these other parts that they can just kind of plug in for defensive replacement slate, which could hinder his uh, plate appearances. So that's something to keep in mind because if he's not getting a full allotment of plate appearances, he's going to struggle to produce the numbers that you're hoping he should produce. Lindor and Nimmo should bat one and two. The managers come out and said multiple times that Lindor, uh, sorry, that Nimmo is the leadoff man. Against lefties, against righties, he's going to get the opportunity to do it on both against both sides which leads me to Lindor batting second. He has yet to bat anywhere else in the lineup in spring training. He has started three games and all three games he's played shortstop and hit second. So where does Jeff McNeil figure in all this? Cause you have Conforto who's probably going to hit third. Uh, McNeil might alternate with him. I don't know. There's again, Dom Smith is there. There's a lot to figure out, but does Jeff McNeil kind of fall a little bit because of all these other parts that are slotting in just right. Does McNeil eventually uh, take the leadoff spot? He's good enough to, just something to monitor. We don't know yet. These are things that we're watching for. The NL Central, the St. Louis Cardinals, they seem to really prefer Matt Carpenter in the top of that lineup. They've gone out of their way to put him there as a DH. They have him playing second. They have him playing third. And we could very well see Carpenter take second base often, and then maybe that pushes Edmund to the outfield because last I checked, they don't seem too confident in O'Neal or Bader out there. Bader's dealing with a minor injury, I believe, last I read, so... Maybe there's an opportunity for that to happen, but Bader's glove is really solid. So I could see maybe O'Neill taking a hit in playing time if they really seem so committed to getting Carpenter in the into the lineup because, again, no DH limits Carpenter's potential of where he could play. And I don't think Carpenter's going to play the outfield. But without a DH, it is still tough to see Carlson move up because we've seen in lineups without Matt Carpenter, it's DeJong that actually gets the playing time higher in the lineup. We see DeJong move up, and Carlson has yet to hit, I think, above fourth or fifth in the lineup. And that's in lineups that don't have starters. So Carlson's a guy that, like, you know, there was early rumors, oh, he could lead off, oh, he could bat second. He's a young guy. He could use these reps, these early reps in camp, and he's not getting them out. So he's. it suggests to me that he's probably going to hit in the in the back end of that middle, like fifth, sixth or seventh, fifth or sixth, or even seventh. Today, I think we saw him hit sixth or seventh again. He constantly sits between the five and seven spot. 
And that's not ideal considering what we were expecting, considering what they showed us going into the playoffs last year for Carlson. So if Carlson isn't hitting in the middle of that lineup like we anticipated or even the top of the lineup, his value takes a little bit of a hit as well. The Brewers, they've only, they've shown us a little bit. I mean, they kind of have a team that's in flux right now. Wong has played, and since playing, he's led off, like primarily led off, so we know he's a leadoff guy there. And there's usually a top three of Wong, Yelich, and Hira in some mix or former fashion. So you know they're going to mix around there. Like I said, Wong is probably going to lead off. So you'll probably see Hira bat second or fourth even. We've seen that actually with Yelich batting uh, second and third in that area. The question is, is what's going on with Lorenzo Cain and Jackie Bradley Jr.? I do believe Bradley Jr. is going to play most days. JBJ will play. That glove, they went out there and signed him $12 million a year, I believe, over two years. That's not a little bit of money. I think that's decent money that's going to get him in the field. That glove's going to get him in the field. Kane is the question mark. I think we're assuming, obviously, Garcia seems like the odd man out here without the DH, but they seem super confident in Garcia. They've been batting him top four consistently, showing their willingness to keep him at the top of the lineup, even in lineups that seem relatively realistic. And then you enter at Lorenzo Kane to the picture and Jackie Bradley Jr., and suddenly Garcia seems to be getting the squeeze because those two are both better defensively. But Kane has yet to play a single game. He's done with general soreness, hasn't played baseball in over a year. So he's going to take some time. Maybe that's what they're – maybe Jackie Bradley Jr. possibly is insurance policy for Lorenzo Kane, not necessarily to push Avisel Garcia out. Garcia lost weight. He's really making an effort to get back to who he was prior to 2020. And all systems were a go, and then this seems a little discouraging. But, again, something just to monitor. A guy for your deeper leagues, Travis Shaw. He's consistently pretty much bat, batted fifth since you know spring training started. Like The guy's just in the lineup, DHing third base. So he'll probably play third base, pushing uh, Urias out of the lineup. And Shaw's just sneaky deep league power potential. Guy that could hit 240 but 30 home runs, especially in this ballpark. The Pirates are the Pirates. Like There's nothing exciting there. Eric Gonzalez seems to be getting everyday playing time in the middle of the infield, but that was with Adam Frazier out. So we could see that change. Now Adam Frazier's back. He DH this uh, today, let off, which pushed Newman down to the five spot or six spot. Again, something to monitor. Frazier is behind in camp. Maybe he's getting at bats at the top to get more at bats, or maybe he will take over the leadoff spot or hit the top of the lineup and push Newman out of it. Or as a, other than that, other than that question mark, we know Cabrian Hayes, he's yet to hit anywhere but second, I believe. Uh, Brian Reynolds seems committed to that three hole. Then you have Colin Moran in the four and Gregory Plonk on the five. That seems pretty consistent. So that's something I would, I would expect. Moran could fall into a platoon with Todd Frazier. Got to keep an eye on that one. The Reds are a mess. Outside of Joey Votto hitting second, Castellanos third, Suarez fourth, and Mustakas fifth, those guys are going to hit top uh, between two and five in some order on most days. We don't know what to expect. Senzel's it was stated. He would be the starting center fielder, but that's still to be determined. We haven't seen it on a consistent basis as he, you know, gets what gets going in spring. Akiyama returned. He led off today with Winker batting sixth and Senzel out of the lineup. There's essentially the problem is, is we have Winker, Senzel, Akiyama, and Aquino for two spots because there's no DH right now. And there's just so much to watch out for there. So we know the middle of the lineup, the core is going to be there. We don't know the surrounding pieces and how often they're going to play. There's who's going to platoon, if there's going to be platoons, et cetera, et cetera. The Cubs, this one is interesting because I do think we know the top six in that lineup, and it's going to be uh, in some sort, I should say. We have Ian Happ, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Jock Peterson, Javier Baez, and Contreras. So we know the top six in some order. The thing that's really interesting to me is Javier Baez has yet to hit above fourth in the lineup. 
and you think, oh, fourth is great. That's fourth in the lineup when there's missing parts. When there's like when everyone's in the lineup, he doesn't hit above fifth. He usually hits fifth in the lineup. But that's like, wait, that's without Ian Happ usually. So my point is, what I'm getting at is there's a chance, a real chance that we see Baez hitting six in this lineup, and that would crush his value. Well, I should say crush, but it would really put a you know, put a damper on it. A guy who's consistently hit third or fourth most of his career, most of the time that we've had him for fantasy, Baez could find himself falling to the sixth spot. We have yet to see a full lineup with those six top six in there, but every time we see any form of any lineup with those names, Baez typically hits behind all of them, which is why it suggests to me that when every single one of them is in, is in there, we could see him fall to as low as six in the lineup. Not saying it's going to happen, but it's something to monitor. Because, again, they seem like he's going to bat in that four through six spot. And four is great. Five is solid. Six gets kind of, like, questionable in terms of how much do I really want that. The San Diego Padres, Trent Grisham is in the driver's seat as everyday leadoff man. I mean, they've played, what, six or seven games now. He's led off in – they've played seven games. He's led off in four of them. And, yeah, three of which have been against lefties. The thing about him is everybody was worried about him leading off against lefties. As of right now, he should. He's obviously getting every opportunity to prove he can do it. And as of right now, he should be the leadoff guy full-time. The Padres as a whole, the top three appear to be Trent Grisham, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Manny Machado in that order, followed by Tommy Pham and Eric Hosmer, who could flip-flop, and then Will Myers behind them. So it's like a solid top six we know the Padres are going to give us, usually, most days. Then from there, it's like, take the bag, shake it, and see who gets those last two spots between Cronenworth, Profar, and Kim. Those three should play every day, but it's a matter of where and when and how often. I think Cronenworth and Kim will get playing time before Profar. We actually have seen Profar only put uh, playing outfield this spring so far with Cronenworth and Kim essentially focusing on the infield. So I think Kim and Pro- Cronenworth will play se- – one of those two will play second base just about every day while, the- while those two also spell guys in the infield, give them breaks, with Profar playing the fourth outfielder role and filling in out there for injury or, again, rest days. The Dodgers, what's there to say? <laughs> that we know their lineup is solid, top to bottom. Usually the top six are kind of in place, just waiting for Bellinger to get back. Worth noting, though, is the amount of playing time Gavin Lux continues to see at second base. He's doing well in spring as well. And Chris Taylor is still playing plenty, but he's also moving around the field, playing center, playing third. We're seeing a lot of Gavin Lux playing second. I'm not sure if they're just trying to give him reps or if they're trying to see if he can actually earn the spot to start with the, with the team this season. A, a player to keep your eye on in your deepest, again, very deep format. We're talking and only for at-bats, Zach McKinstry. He's caught my attention because he's playing so much, and he's played center field, shortstop, and second base. He's essentially the Chris Taylor type of, like, the club's new super utility of 2021. But that's, again, that's right now, that's what we're, that's what I'm seeing. He, again, he's very, very, he's, when you're chasing at-bats in the deepest of leagues, he's a guy to grab at, at the very end just because he could fall into him. You have to remember Edwin Rios is still there, and yeah, they they got their they have their own roster crunch going on. So I don't know what to think there. I'm just this is just a name for some reason that's on my mind. The Colorado Rockies, Rymel Tapia is the leadoff guy. I I don't have yet to see anything to suggest otherwise. He's pretty much in that role until he loses it. The Rockies have actually shown me reason to believe that Garrett Hampson will be playing every day. Not only does he play center field pretty much every time he's in the lineup, but when we see Hilliard in the lineup, it's usually on days where Blackman's out and Hilliard's the one playing right field, always giving way to Hampson playing center. 
Hampson's getting all the early reps in center field, all but one day, I think. And then to top it off, again, when, when Blackman was out of the lineup, Hilliard was in right field. However, when Blackman was in the lineup, Hilliard did get a rep today with Blackman in the lineup, but Hilliard went to left field. Again, letting Hampson stick to center. It looks like it's Hampson's job to lose, which means he should be playing every day. But it's the Rockies, hard to bang on that. It's still promising to see that Hampson might be the guy and a guy I'm, I've, I've been very vocal about being against and fading because I didn't trust the playing time. This is the first time I've actually seen playing time in his favor. Another guy that I think that is starting to build some hype is Brendan Rogers, former top prospect, finally healthy. He's a guy that should be playing every day for the Rockies. Might hit in the bottom half of the lineup, bottom third of the lineup. But Brendan Rodgers is a guy we're seeing early take all the reps at second base. No one's really threatening him for playing time. And he says he wants to steal bases. We'll see how many. I think he said, I think he mentioned 20 or 25. Like, I don't know what his goal is, but I do know that he can be a power speed threat. And you're getting him very late in drafts. In shallow leagues, he should be on your watch list. He's a guy that he was a former top prospect. He's going to be playing in cores every day. There's no reason to think that Brendan Rodgers can't be fantasy viable or even a producer or somebody you pick up really early off the waiver wire in shallow formats because Rodgers is a guy who proved he could do it in the minors. Had to get, had to get right. He seems right now. We'll see how he does when games start getting played in, like during the regular season. Final two teams here in the NL. You have the Diamondbacks and the Giants. The Diamondbacks, Rojas has, is the interesting name here. He's let off three straight games that he's played, three of the last four total, and he's played different positions like every time. So we're seeing versatility in terms of fielding. We're seeing um, the team seems to believe in him in terms of allowing him to lead off. I think there's something where there's smoke, there's fire. There's With Cole Calhoun out, I think Rojas, it opens up the opportunity for Rojas to, in fact, lead off. Marshall's getting plenty of looks, but we haven't really heard any news in terms of if he's staying or if he's going. The, the initial report was that he'd be starting in the minors, but with the minor league season being pushed back, alt camps being formed, does that push Varchos ETA up to opening day instead of a month in? And as a catcher, he could be difference-making in pretty much any fantasy format. But a guy that I think that could take a lot of right field reps and or actually has been getting right field reps and outfield reps as a whole, really put the power on display is Trace Thompson. The guy hit a ball 115.3 miles per hour, 449 feet the other day. Absurd big-time power. Just not sure if there's plenty of time there. But with Cole Calhoun out, maybe he's the guy who gets some shots. Again, that could be their way because if, if if Thompson has a good spring, that could be their excuse to push Varsho down. But I, I don't know. I think there's still a lot to be determined there. And then the Giants. We don't really know what they're going to do either. Belt hasn't played yet. Lestella and Yastrzemski, those guys have actually been mentioned essentially as being the top two guys there. There's been a quote there in a previous article I released that essentially confirms that those two should be the top two guys pending any Gabe Kapler being Gabe Kapler moments. Dubon is a guy that often sits low in the lineup, but does play a lot. He's been playing a lot of shortstop, a lot of center field. So the two, so playing those two positions shows not only the versatility, but the Giants' willingness to get Dubon in the lineup. And other than that, we don't know where Alex Dickerson is going to slot with the regular lineup, how often Longoria is going to play. I think Longoria could be a weak side platoon guy, but we're still waiting to see. I mean, Donovan Solano's been playing a little bit. Is he being showcased for a trade? Will he actually play full-time? It's hard to say as of right now. Moving over to the AL East, start with the Boston Red Sox. And Kike Hernandez just continues to lead off. I think it's because Bogarts isn't in the lineup. We will see Bogarts return this weekend. And once we have an idea of where Bogarts, because Verdugo has been batting second in favor of Kike Hernandez. And this is the reason why this is interesting to me is because Verdugo is a guy who was late to start, you know, to get reps and all that. 
I, I thought instantly, okay, cool, he'll lead off. He's expected to lead off. But instead of leading him off to get him more at-bats, they batted him second, which isn't a lot less at-bats by any means. But it still shows that maybe they just want to get Hernandez in there leading off as much as possible. I don't know. And with Bogarts, what we could end up seeing is Bogarts sliding into the three spot, pushing. Like if they are so set on Hernandez leading off, it's going to push everyone down a spot, and somebody between Devers or Martinez is going to bat fifth. That's not ideal for either of them, but in this lineup, that's still going to be a solid place. But we've been seeing a lot of 3-4-5 of J.D. Martinez, Rafael Devers, and Hunter Renfro. Renfro is the guy who's been batting fifth. Could you know Bogart's return hinder Hernandez's spot or Renfro's spot? Because right now, Renfro, he's getting a lot of reps in the five-hole. And batting fifth in this lineup, again, not a bad spot. But it's a boost to a guy like Renfro who we had no idea what to expect. But could we see Hernandez fall to the five spot? Could we see Hernandez fall to the nine as a double leadoff? It's we have to wait and see, but it's definitely interesting because the Red Sox are sneaky solid on offense. They seem, and then of course you have Bobby Dahlbeck, who should play every day. I mean, I think he's playing for the first base spot, first base uh, spot in the lineup. But I don't think that there's any reason why he wouldn't win it out. I mean, Travis isn't barely getting reps with the starters, and when he does, he's like he's getting reps when all the starters are out. And Dahlbeck is a guy that we know the power's there. He's flashed it in the spring training already. But you should expect him to hit about seventh or so in the lineup. He is going to have to hit his way up. Still, though, solid power. A guy who could be a difference-making power very late in drafts. That's Bobby Dahlbeck I'm talking about. Jaron Duran is showing out right now. He's batting second a ton. But again, he's playing center field as well. That's with Alex Verdugo, who hasn't been playing as much, kind of easing himself into spring. So as Alex Verdugo gets his reps in, I think Duran's the one who takes a hit because Verdugo's playing center. It's going to matter about Franchi. I think Franchi Cordero, who has yet to return, from COVID is the player we have to watch out for because Durant can find playing time in that, that direction. I think Cordero, however, is a guy that when they get him in there, they're going to want to play him because Franchi was a guy they just went out and traded for. They gave up Ben and the deal and they're going to want to prove that it was worth it. I think they're going to want to prove that Cordero was the right choice here was worth going out and getting. And the problem is though, it sounds like COVID might've been a hindrance to Cordero. We saw what COVID did to the players last year. And if it's not injury, of course it would be COVID for Franchi. The poor guy can't catch a break. So hopefully he's getting healthy. Hopefully he's all right. We'll get more news on that sooner than later, I would assume. But until then, Duran is definitely interesting. A guy that if you have NA slots in your draft, if you have uh, room to stash, Duran should be, if you miss out on Kalenic on Kirillov, I think Duran's a guy you can stash. And I think he's going to be up sooner than later. And he could be a Jared Kalenic light. Less power, similar speed, a guy that I really like. Like he, like I said, he's like the bargain brand. He's the Czech soda, if you will, of of the big name prospects right now. Like, but he's gonna be solid. He could be a solid fantasy producer, especially in the speed department. The Toronto Blue Jays, unfortunately, I think it's Kevin Biggio falling in this lineup. Anytime George Springer leads off, Biggio hits fifth or lower. And that's batting fifth with guys like Vlad out or Teoscar out. So you know he's probably in line to hit sixth or even seventh. And Simeon has yet to see a spot outside the top three. The dude just stays at the top of the lineup. That's a place they seem to really want him, at least starting the season, which, again, furthering the reason why we're seeing Biggio drop. I would love to see Biggio bat top three. The on-base skills deserve to be top three, probably top two, I would say, because he's just going to always get on. But this concerns me because we're seeing Biggio drop. What are the odds? And I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm just saying that I think this is, there's an outside chance for this, something to keep in mind. And this is a very unlikely but possible situation. Biggio could bat ninth. 
Now hear me out before you think, no way, and shut this podcast off. Biggio's on-base skills are so good that the nine-hole hitter is essentially a second leadoff guy is how they view the nine-hole hitter. He could get on base for Springer from the nine spot. That would be huge for Springer as the game goes on. That'd be huge for the semi in or whoever's batting second or third. Biggio batting ninth makes a ton of sense, and I hate to say that because that kills his value in fantasy. But moving on from that, that's just something, again, keep in mind. not saying it's going to happen, but if it does, I wouldn't be overly shocked. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Juniors, they, they they seem locked into the four and five spot. They seem to, whenever there's like starters in the lineup, they seem slotted in there, kind of just set them, forget them, and they're going. Where does that leave Teoscar? That's another question. Does Teoscar hit six or seventh? Biggio hit six or seventh? Or do they both fall because Telez is a lefty and they're lacking lefty bats in that lineup? Does Telez then go ahead and jump them and push the other two down? We just don't know. It is super frustrating. But it's also an embarrassment of riches. Like they just have so much there. And Telez hasn't exactly done nothing. It's not like he hasn't deserved to hit hit in the lineup in a solid spot. The dude made some legit changes last year. And Telez can really be like put him in the solid, put him in the six or seven spot. I think there's some sneaky RBI opportunity there because of how good that lineup is. Moving on to the Yankees, they've I think they've showed their hand. They've done this lineup twice now with LeMahieu leading off, followed by Aaron Judge, Aaron Hicks, and John Collar Stanton. Then Luke Voigt and Gleyber Torres. Torres batting sixth, kind of um, upsetting, kind of sucks. <laughs> but I think that's like if there's ever a sixth spot to want a player, it's the Yankees. And Torres, even batting sixth, is, this is probably the closest thing that batting sixth can like turn to batting fourth for a player. Like It's crazy how good this lineup is. And Torres batting sixth, although not ideal, is still not a huge uh, uh, hit to his value because this lineup is just that good. But then seventh, you have Brent Garner. Eighth, Gary Sanchez. Nine, Miguel Andujar. Now, I think Urshela is going to bat where Andujar is at. And I would like to think Clint Frazier is going to bat seventh where Gardner is at. But this team lacks lefties. The only lefty bat is Aaron Hicks. And that's on days where he's because he's a switch hitter. That's only on days when he bats lefty. There's a chance Gardner plays more than we want him to because we really want to see Clint Frazier get full-time run. And they've said Clint Frazier is a starter. But Gotta be gotta be mindful. Gardner is a lefty, and there aren't many. There's again only one in this lineup in Aaron Hicks. And that's only a part-time lefty. So just gotta just gotta keep just gotta monitor that. I really hope Brett Gardner is not going to be a thing, but real life baseball happens. They might want to get lefties in the lineup. We could see a bit of a headache there. We aren't really I wouldn't when I wrote this, I said we weren't really any closer to seeing who the center fielder is for the Orioles. But today, uh, we saw a lineup where Mullins led off playing center with Hayes playing, I think, left field or right field, one of the corner outfield spots, batting second. And that would, in my eyes, suggest that Mullins might be the early favorite because he got the center field, not that he batted leadoff, but that he got the center field spot with Hayes in the lineup. So they gave Mullins the extra reps. Maybe they'll flip-flop that another time this week, so then I can take this back. But right now, something as simple and as subtle as that just Really makes me like think it gets like the spider sense is tingling. Like, hmm, they went out of their way to do this today, giving Mullins the reps over Hayes and center. That could show they're favoring Mullins a little bit here. We could see a two, three, four of Trey Mancini, Anthony Santander, and Ryan Mountcastle, which leaves Rios batting fifth. If uh, not Rios, Rio Ruiz batting fifth. If Rio Ruiz bats fifth, behind all these names I just mentioned, there's some, again, more sneaky RBI opportunities because Rio can hit for power. He can, 
and he can hit these guys in. I mean, he's not the greatest for on base. Batting average is not going to be great either. But if you want some late pop with some RBI upside, Ruiz can be that guy. Or Severino. We've seen Severino sticking to the middle of the lineup. If Severino bats ahead of Ruiz, then we have a catcher that becomes a lot more interesting considering his draft calls compared to other catchers. So Severino's got to keep in mind, keep a, an eye on, as well as Chancisco, whichever one might land the starting spot, or I think they might even split the time. They seem to be about even in playing time this spring so far. Last but certainly, probably certainly least, actually, is the Tampa Bay Rays. These guys, I mean, your guess is as good as mine when it comes to them. So many moving parts. But one thing does seem clear. Seems like we have a top three featuring Austin Meadows, Randy Rosarena, and Brandon Lau. So at least we have something that seems realistic here. But other than that, it is really just a mess. Players getting reps, players getting playing time over the field. Those are the only three things I think are sure about this lineup. And Willie Adamas playing shortstop until somebody gets called up. Because Adamas is a guy that that glove plays, so he usually plays. Moving over to the AL Central, the Twins are kind of tough to gauge. We see Kepler leading off. He has led off against a lefty even, but they haven't played many lefties this year or the spring so far. So maybe they're just letting him get his reps against lefties. But Kepler, we know, should lead off against righties. It's a matter of if he'll lead off against lefties. Donaldson, he played his first game today, bat- batted second. I don't see why that won't stick around because they mentioned they want to move Byron Buxton around the lineup. They don't want him batting ninth or the bottom of the lineup guy that he's been in the past. So because he's developed power, and he has the speed. We could see him bat as high as fifth or sixth in this lineup, which, again, better than batting ninth because now he's getting added plate appearances and should still run and hit for for a little bit of pop. So Byron Buxton is a guy that maybe pushes, he keeps Donaldson at the two, Cruz at the three, Sano five, and so on and so forth. Like we fill in the blanks there. And I don't know. I, I'm really, I'm really interested in Buxton. This could be the year. I mean, every year could be the year with Buxton, but. Man, all we need is, is him to stay healthy. If we just get just get Bucks to stay healthy, but he'll do it once, and it'll be. It's like this is like you know the price hasn't been high. He's been somebody who's been really affordable in drafts, a guy that people just kind of overlook because they're like, oh, it's Byron Buxton. But the pedigree was there, the added power was there last year. We know he can run. There's a lot of intrigue, and again, the team has come out and said that they don't view him as a bottom of the lineup bat anymore. And lastly, when it comes to this lineup. I am just rooting for Kirillov, but I don't see the Twins not playing service time games. It's really that simple. He's been getting reps in the outfield, reps at first base lately more so, but I I just don't see them bringing him up from the from go. I, I expect them to play the service time game. I hope I'm wrong because I actually have a few shares. and I really am big on grabbing Kirillov in drafts. I like, I like stashing him. I think he's up early, and I think he's a solid contributor. He has the power and speed combination. The dude can be a little bit of a difference maker this year, but when do we see him? It's a big question mark, and I don't. Again, I don't trust any team not to play service time manipulation. The Detroit Tigers are the next on this list to talk about, and Robbie Grossman has started in pretty much any game he's played. I think five games now out of seven at this point. He is locked and loaded as the leadoff guy. We have seen Willie Castro and Candelario hitting second and third often. They could remain there, and assuming we have Miggy batting fourth. We could see Ramos, Wilson Ramos, the catcher, batting fifth or sixth, which, again, for a catcher, it's not bad. But the problem is, is we don't really know this lineup because we still haven't seen Renato Nunez, Jonathan Scope, Nomar Mazzara, or, and that's it. We haven't seen those guys yet. <laughs> I, I was about to add another name that isn't even existent on this team, but those are four names that are presumed starters, and we don't know where they're going to slot and how this lineup is going to shift otherwise. The only thing I feel comfortable saying is Miggy's going to stay middle of the order, order 
and Robbie Grossman is going to stay leading off. The Indians, I think we have a very good idea of the top four in Cesar Hernandez, Jose Ramirez, Eddie Rosario, and Framil Reyes. Those four guys seem locked and loaded in the top four. But beyond that, the outfit, the outfield continues to be a mess going back to 2020. It seems that whoever wins shortstop could end up batting ninth anyway between Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario. Naylor has started three games, but has yet to bat below fifth. Not sure how that's going to translate when all the starters are in the lineup. And then, of course, we have a Jake Bowers, Bob, Bobby Bradley, splitting time at first base, essentially fighting it out for who's going to start there. So, again, just a lot of unknowns of this lineup outside the top four. Top four are solid, and after that, it just falls off a cliff. The Chicago White Sox, Tim Anderson is the leadoff guy. We see that clear as day in every lineup. And, of course, I assumed it would be one of Adam Eaton or Young Mikata, and I still assume it's one of them that's going to be in the two spot. But the one lineup we get Eaton and Mikata in the lineup, it's Robert who bats second, following that up by batting, I believe, leadoff the next day. I think it's per- I personally think it's Robert getting the reps, to be honest, just getting at bats at the top of the lineup. But it's still something we can watch because it's still early on. Maybe the read, maybe my read on this situation was wrong. That's very possible. And if that's the case, I'll pivot. But right now, although Robert has gotten some reps top of the lineup, I don't see that sticking over Eaton or Mankata. And I'm rooting for Mankata, but I'm thinking it's Eaton, but we'll see. We had one lineup where both of the, like that lineup where both of them were in. It was Eaton that ba- that hit behind Moncada. So who knows? But they were they were hitting six and seven. So that again, one of them I was thinking was going to hit second, which is a big difference from second. Second and six is big, a huge difference compared to six and seven. Yasmani Grandal is yet to start, but we know he will slot somewhere in the middle of that lineup as well. He's dealing with a twisted knee. He hasn't played yet. We should see him soon. It sounds like, but we don't know exactly how soon. The Kansas City Royals, we talked about them at length already. We can kind of just skip over that. Somebody that's kind of just a quick, I guess, note worth mentioning is Michael Taylor's being slept on. There's a little bit of power and speed there and what should be everyday playing time. Same with Nicky Lopez, not the power and speed, just everyday at bats, AL only type, deep league type, should play at second or, yeah, second most days. And like I said, Michael Taylor is a starter, and we've seen him be fantasy relevant before. He's a guy you should be paying attention to. Another guy you really should pay attention to, and I was very surprised to see this, was Elvis Andrews. Elvis Andrews has yet to hit outside the top two in the lineup. Like, yeah, he's played like in five games, and or sorry, he's played four games, and he's yet to hit outside the top two. And, and a couple of recent lineups has actually had him batting second with big pieces around him. Mark Canna batting top of the lineup, Olsen, Chapman, and Moreland, the guys that you expect to be in more times than not. Andrews is the one staying, staying at the top of the lineup, batting second. And it's Ramon Laureano that's actually dropped. We expected to see Laureano possibly leading off. But the last two lineups with a lot of the big names, it's been Canna hitting at the top of the lineup with Laureano batting fifth or sixth. That's interesting and frustrating because Laureano, you know, we've seen him hit fifth or sixth before and, and consistently. But it would be nice to see him get the chances to bat lead off. And this would be the time to see to test that out. And instead of testing that out, they're putting him fifth or sixth in the lineup and getting Canna at the top of the lineup. So we could be seeing Canna getting the boost in terms of the lineup spot over Laureano. But Andrews, again, is the surprising one because he's the one who hasn't budged from the two-hole, essentially. Seattle Mariners, they kind of showed their hand day one very, very early in spring training. We saw a lineup consisting of leading off J.P. Crawford, which we've seen J.P. Crawford leading off pretty much anytime he's been in the lineup. Similarly to Mitch Hanniger, we've seen Hanniger essentially slotted to the second, the two-hole consistently and should be stuck there unless there's injury. Kyle Lewis batting third, Kyle Seeger batting fourth, and Ty France batting fifth. We know those three 
seemed to be locked and loaded in the middle of that lineup, followed by Dylan Moore, Evan White, Tom Murphy, and Jake Fraley. There's no reason to think that this lineup up and down can't be opening day lineup, and we saw it literally day one of spring training. And we've seen trends and other such stuff that suggest that this is very much the lineup that's in play. Some notes in terms of Ty France, we've seen him play second and third in spring training, so there's a chance that he gets you know multi-position eligibility before the season's over. Maybe he, spell, he should spell Seager enough over at third base, I would think, to go ahead and get that eligibility before the season's up. And then you have Jake Fraley, who short-lived. He's a guy that if you're going to take a shot on, it's probably won't last long because as soon as Kalenic recovers from injury, he should be up, I'd say, by mid-May, the late latest, in my opinion, which gives Fraley six weeks to shut that idea out. But Fraley has yet to really hit on the, I wouldn't even say call it potential, but what we saw is, you know, fantasy potential. He Fraley has yet to really give us that. So I wouldn't hold my breath expecting Fraley to kind of be the guy we hoped he could have been a couple of years. I think it was a year or two ago at this point. The Texas Rangers, they haven't really showed their hand that much. We've seen Solak playing exclusive, exclusively at second, but he usually hits fifth or sixth. Not ideal. I'm a Solak guy. I think he still could move up against left-handed pitching, but we haven't really seen the platoons in full effect. We've seen a lot of Chris Davis batting in the middle of that lineup. I think they really want to make Chris Davis work as the DH, or they're just trying to really give a long look at what they have there. So he's been batting a lot in the middle of that lineup. We've seen a lot of Ronald Guzman, who's building hype. I guess he you know, he changes stance, changes swing, and he's doing things, but he's playing first base. He's playing outfield. You have Nate Lowe here. Nate Lowe was traded for. you got to think that they want to play him, but... Who knows? Maybe maybe Nate Lowe isn't what we hope he is. We don't. It's again, we don't know right now. I don't think Guzman's taking his playing time or taking a spot right now. But he's definitely making waves. You have Calhoun, who typically DHs. They've been playing him in left field. I think they want. They're obviously trying to get him those outfield reps, trying to get him comfortable out there. Because if Chris Davis truly DHs, or even David Dahl DHs, Calhoun will be forced to play the field if he's if he's going to play at all for this team. So getting him, those fielding reps really do matter right now. Something sneaky. Apparently, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa in Yahoo Leagues has catcher eligibility. He didn't play catcher last year, but he stole 10 bases. And this team likes to steal. And the thing about it that's sneaky, he has played in five of the seven games in spring training so far for the Rangers. And he's led off or batted second every time, essentially. Like, he's been the – what I'm trying to get is he's – hit top two in the lineup every time he's been in the lineup. I think he's going to bat top two in this lineup, which leads to more stolen base attempts, which leads to way more plate appearances than your average catcher. And in Yahoo leagues, he gains a ton more value because he's a catcher in that league because Yahoo likes to just give away positional flexible eligibility. He didn't play catcher. He didn't even sniffed the catcher position last year, and he has catching eligibility. So take advantage of it if you're in Yahoo. And um, yeah. He's a guy that goes from being like fringe draftable, especially in 12 teamers and 10 teamers. He's probably not drafted to a guy that you want on your roster as your catcher. The Los Angeles Angels, again, another team that hasn't given us much. And we know what to expect at the top. We have David Fletcher, Shoei Otani, Rendon, and Trout. Obviously, Rendon likely batting fourth behind all of them. Trout and Otani, we've seen them flip flop second and third. But where does Jared Walsh figure in? I keep trying to I keep asking this question with no answer. They have yet to show us where they where they plan on batting Fowler when the lineup is full like that. I'm going to guess fifth. He bats behind all those four I just mentioned. When Otani leaves the lineup, we could see Walsh either stay fourth or move up to the two-hole. I think there's flexibility there when Otani's out of the lineup. But then there's talks of possibly Walsh platooning with Pujols. So Walsh is a guy I just have so many more questions than answers right now. 
and that frustrates me. And then another guy who I don't trust to take this, to play all year as a starter. We saw their willingness to platoon him last year on the, and giving him the weak side of platoon. That is Justin Upton. But as of right now, he is going to play every day. And we know when he runs hot, he runs hot. When he runs cold, he runs cold. You got to pick and choose your battles with Upton. Deeply relevance only. But other than that, again, bottom of the lineup guys like Dexter Fowler and Jose Iglesias should be getting you at bats. So if you're just targeting at bats, those are guys that definitely go out and get. And again, Astros, they're missing guy. They're missing two big parts in Bregman and Alvarez. So without them, we know we're getting like Brantley batting third, Correa fourth, and I think Gurriel fifth, and Tucker mixed in there somewhere as well. So we're going to get those guys in the middle of the lineup. With, but when Bregman, who should be returning soon, it sounds like, and Alvarez, who I'm a little skeptical about his opening day um, availability. I, I want to see him even get in the get on the field first, swing some bats in a, in a live game. But regardless, I would like to like I do know, or I should say, we should know that we have Miles Straw and Jose Altuve leading up. Hey, batting top two. I think Straw has earned it so far. They keep giving him the chances to lead off, and they and Dusty Baker has come out and said they want him to lead off essentially. And he's very much like when Dusty, if you read the quote again, that was in the last article I, I wrote. If you read the quote, the play, the player that Dusty Baker described as his ideal leadoff guy pretty much was Miles Straw without saying his name. So Straw has really gone base skills. If you look at his minor league track record, guy strikes out less than 20% of the time, walks double digit rates pretty much all through the minors. I think his career OBP is like 350-ish in the minors. So that's kind of play. And he hits a lot of doubles. The speed, like the speed is so good that he'll get on base and he'll every and when he gets on base, it could be a double every time because the guy can just get the second. So I think he's gonna be solid as a leadoff guy. Not like I think they could do better in real life, but for fantasy, Miles Straw for speed, he, people just automatically see Miles Straw and think, oh, he's a rabbit. He is when it comes because he is kind of just a stolen base guy, but he's gonna probably score 100 runs if he leads off most of the year. He's gonna steal close to what 20 to 30 bases somewhere in between there. Yeah, he might only hit 10 home runs, seven, maybe even five, but the stolen bases are going to be there. The runs are going to be there. Two of the hardest uh, stats to come by, and he won't kill you in batting average. Whereas most rabbits, you start thinking of like Billy Hamilton types or or Malik Smith types who were just one category. Straw can actually give you two and a half to three categories. You're getting them late enough to where you should be able to build for him anyway. Miles Straw is very much a guy that you can, if you know you want to get him, you build for him, you build up all the other stats Take and then you take on a mile straw at the end of your at the end of your draft. That's gonna do it for the lineup takeaways. Real quick, I want to highlight some position battles to watch. These are just some that pop into my head as I'm looking at lineups and stuff. I'm sure I'm missing some, but shortstops for the Reds. We don't know who it's gonna be. We <laughs> there's like four names here: Jose Garcia, Kyle Holder, D Strange Gordon, and Kyle Farmer. I think Farmer's the guy right now. That would be my guess if I had to pick. We mentioned second base for the Marlins. I'm leaning Isan Diaz over Jazz Chisholm as as who's gonna get it. I want Jazz to get it. I want to make that clear. I think Jazz has more fantasy upside and has actually more and a better real life player long term. But I think Isan Diaz has the inside track right now. Center field for the Phillies right now. It's got to be Odubel Herrera who's in lead again. We've seen reports of that. It's been suggested and the production has matched that. King Reese seems on the outside looking in and Hazley was in this mix, but an injury has essentially kicked him out of it. Um, second base for the Cubs. David Bodie or Nick, Nico Horner. I know Horner really wants it. I know Bodie's a guy they seem to like over there in Chicago. That's to be determined still. Center field for the Orioles. We mentioned that. Mullins versus Hayes. Mullins might have the, a slight edge right now, but it's far from determined. And another one that's far from determined because we don't know what the Indians are going to do. Are they going to 
play this uh, service time game with Andres Jimenez, or are they going to see what they got in Andre and Ahmed Rosario before they bring up Jimenez? Either way, it's Rosario versus Jimenez. It seems like only one will probably be getting the starting gig. I'm going to lean towards Ahmed Rosario right now because I do think, again, Indians being Indians, being cheap, they're going to want to play that uh, at least one month, I think it would be, or a couple weeks for Andres Jimenez. But I would still take Jimenez over Rosario this year because I think Jimenez would, would come up once they get that service time and probably take the spot if Ahmed doesn't start off hot. Lastly, I will leave you with a few questions. And I, I wrote some questions I, I just want to watch, pretty much give you an idea of what I'm watching for going into week two of lineups. <laughs> Who will lead off for the Reds? And will it be dependent on left-handed pitching or right-handed pitching like last season? Last year, we saw a bunch of that. We saw flip-flopping of leadoff guys. We saw guys get subbed out mid-game because they were playing the platoon so heavily. I want to see if the Reds kind of back off that or kind of stick to that because we could see different leadoff guys different days. We can also see uh, guys swap out in and out mid-game. Hopefully not. Then I also want to I want to watch the playing time situation in the Brewers outfield. That's not really a question, more of a statement, but just something to watch, essentially. Adam Frazier return. My question here was when Adam Frazier returns to the Pirates, where does he play and hit? Does he start? There's been quite there's been rumors of him being traded. Do they want to, you know, showcase him? Do they do they bench him? I don't I don't know. I think he should start. He'd started today, but he played DH and let off. He's gonna be getting at bats at the top of the lineup because he has to make up some time. So I think leading off, although I think he can actually lead off though. So it's just something that we're gonna be monitoring as well. Luis Robert, uh, is he really in contention for the two spot? I mean, I don't think he is, but got to watch for it. Number five question is, where will Jeff McNeil ultimately land in the Mets lineup on a regular basis? That's self-explanatory. I explained my concerns there or lack of understanding. I'm not even sure what to think there. Where is Javier Baez going to hit the lineup? Again, another question I posed as we discussed the Cubs. Will Varsho essentially be starting with the team, or is he going to go down to the alt site? I think, again, that's something I brought up. Will Josh Rojas lead off? He seems to be heading that direction and let off today as well since writing this question. So, again, another thing just to monitor. Hopefully in week two, we'll start getting an idea of the platoons that are going to be occurring. I think that might be more of a week three thing, but it's something to start watching for in week two because maybe teams want to start getting their lineups in place, see what they got, see who they have where, and give guys reps against certain sides, uh, certain pitching, certain guys. So we'll see. That's something I want to look out for. Uh, Where will Teoscar Hernandez and Kevin Biggio bat in the lineup? We have yet to see a full lineup from the Blue Jays, so that's just something we don't know yet, and it's all speculation, and Teoscar hits higher than Kevin Biggio on average, but we don't know how it's going to ultimately play out. But last, but certainly not least, will Ramon Laureano lead off? And right now, my gut says no. The trends are saying no, but I want to see more before I put a stamp of just no, it's not happening out there. So that was 11 things that come to mind right away that I'm looking for, most of which I touched on a little bit as we went, but that's going to do it. That The idea of this art, this podcast slash article slash everything, like we're going to be doing this once a week. I like, I like bringing this stuff up because I think it adds, it's a different look from fantasy that we don't get that much. So I'm hoping you find it as useful as I think it is. I, I really enjoyed doing it and I appreciate the support you guys have all been giving me. If you want to follow the lineup chart, the, the spring training lineup chart, the, all the work I'm doing over here with lineups, just follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. You can check out my work at rotoballer.com. And of course, again, I can't appreciate, I can't stress enough how thankful I am for all you guys listening, supporting the content and checking it out. And as always, five-star rating review on your way out. Hit us with those fancy questions. Appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate all the support. And we will talk to you soon.